Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot 2.0 goes well with both red and white and is perfect with the workout of your choice. Our hosts are Aaron Berlin, a former Kansas Jayhawk who believes the Orlando Magic will win the championship. Eventually. (laughs) His partner is Otto Strong, a man who has covered the NBA since before Dennis Rodman got his first tattoo. Fellas? Thanks so much, Darlene. It is Catch and Shoot 2.0, and I will tell you what. With the way things have been, I've been looking forward to doing this show all week long. I am with my main man, Otto Strong. Coming up on today's show, we'll talk with John Fantive, not only the full court press with him, as well as Kim Adams. We'll talk some college hoops. We'll talk about some of our favorite arenas around the college sports atmosphere. But since Otto has been just hustling and bustling so much with everything that's going on, we only have him for a short window today. Let's go ahead and bring Otto in. Otto? How are things? You know, um, I think at a time where we're all kind of looking for some kind of normalcy, this show is fun for us because we get to get together and kind of talk sports. But how are things for you? Hey, this is this show is a highlight of the week. But uh, yeah, things are things are uh, are are crazy right through here. Uh, you know, working at a at a sports department, leading a sports department where there are no sports is <laughs> is created an interesting uh, challenge. So you know, I've had a a number of my guys are are working on news side part time. Uh, they're they've been tasked to come up with stories, regardless of you know sports or otherwise. And we've had some interesting pieces. I mean, we did did you know took a look at what happens with with weddings. I mean, people have planned weddings, um, you know, months uh, months out, and all of a sudden you get to the, the day and and there's not going to be a wedding. Or uh, what do you do with uh, with funerals? Unfortunately, this is uh, the the reality that we're in for a little little while now, but. Um, as you can imagine, uh, funerals typically is, uh, you know, a, a gathering shared by, by dozens of people and, and in several regions, including the, the Fort Worth area, people are being encouraged to you know, stand six feet away and, and on top of that, limit the number of people who can actually come in and grieve. So it's, it's created an, a number of, of situations that, um, you know, just challenging, challenging the, you know, what it means to be human. Uh, you know, right through here, aside from the obvious, and that is dealing with coronavirus and making sure everyone is healthy. And if you're not, you know, getting tested and, and getting, getting, you know, fixed to the degree that one can, but, but also just for everybody else, you know, living through the, the this period. Um, um, uh, how are, how are things in Florida? Well, you know, I've rewatched about every single Kansas basketball game that I possibly can. And, you know, so that's been a little bit exciting and disappointing for me because I have to relive all those NCAA tournament upsets. But, you know, I want to go back to what you just touched on. And I I think it's something that's important. You know, when I went to journalism school and this was, you know, what, 2009 to 2013, little Aaron Berlin just walking around Jayhawk Boulevard at the University of Kansas while I was taking my J school classes, you know, I could never – 
go into actual news because I didn't want to report on the news. I didn't want to report on the world. You know, I thought as someone who wanted to go into sports casting or sports broadcasting, you know, I lived in kind of this fairy tale world of getting to cover sports, getting to cover my favorite program growing up. And this is really the first time that I think we're all realizing that sports writers or journalists, they do it in a different way. And now you're having to ask your writers to report on news. How many times have you felt like when you're not that you're gathering troops that, you know, you're circling your writers around and you're trying to find things to write on that almost you're a coach having to lead them through halftime almost. Well, I mean, I mean, fortunately I'm, I'm working with guys who have, uh, have been doing this for a couple of decades. So, so they're, 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 I mean, at the, at the end of the day, they are reporters first. I mean, if you strip everything else away, uh, you know, a, a sports event, a, a game or a trade is a news story. It has all of the, the essential building blocks are, are all there. Um, you know, for, for some people who, you know, hitting, hitting the Wayback Machine, you know, there was an earthquake during game one of the World Series, I believe, 1989 yeah. in the Bay Area. You know, 1972, there was a shooting at the Olympics. Uh, obviously, 96, there was, there was a, the, the bombing at Centennial Park. So, you know, these things have a way of, of you know, coming up time after time. And so uh, this one's a, a little bit different in that it's not a specific event at a specific place at a specific time, but it's something that it was kind of like that, that wave that just kind of crest, like a tidal wave, if you will, it just kind of crested across um, the nation, you know, with the obvious being, you know, kind of hitting the NBA in a, in a big way first. With, and that really you know, obviously grabbed everybody's attention. Yeah. And, you know, there has been some good news. Utah Jazz players were all reported to be symptom free. And so they've been released from their quarantine. Same with the Lakers players as well. So we are getting some trickling of news in the NBA circles. And, you know, Otto, I thought we got a really fun piece of news. And it's kind of funny, you know, even the NBA when there's no games and it seems like there's no light at the end of the tunnel, the, the, the way the league's personalities are constructed and the way that they manage themselves they always give us something that's fun and entertaining and it's new and you know we got that with kind of an instagram live that not only Dwayne wade but also carmelo anthony did the other day in which they relive you know the banana boat tour and everybody knows that banana boat picture and everybody knows the friendships that you know chris paul lebron james Dwayne wade and carmelo anthony all share together but they shared a story about how braun actually saved Melo's life and you know those are the things that we had never been let in on. And to have it in kind of that instance was a little bit fun for people to watch and to grip onto and makes you realize why you love this league so much. That story was crazy. I mean, <laughs> Also, how had that never come out before? That's what uh, I didn't understand. How had no one followed up on that or been told uh, that? I mean, you just, you know, in the vault, I guess for, for a day, like a day, like, you know, the day they shared it, which, which is crazy. But, uh, I, I got, I got to say that. So I, I am not what you would call a strong swimmer. <laughs> um, however, I don't think any of us are. well, once, a, I, once I, a, I mean, let's just say this, there's no way I could carry mellow out of the water. Uh, no, not, no, not, not no. happening. There's no way I could even no. pick up mellow. No, so no. the fact that LeBron could do that, it's pretty amazing. Well, yeah, and, and uh, Melo was fortunate that that uh, Braun was there because, you know, look, if you're going to have a, a, a guy uh, Melo-sized, you'd need a guy LeBron-sized to, 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 carry, to carry you out and carry, get you to safety. But, uh, you know, when I heard about the, you know, that there's, just, there's a certain stroke that, that one uses, and I am not, you know, I am not a, like I said, a strong swimmer, swimmer was never a lifeguard. But once upon a time, several years ago, uh, I was a cadet at West Point, and uh, freshman required gym class was swimming, which 
some people referred to as combat swimming, other people referred to playfully uh, as as plebe drowning, you know, but so so uh, it, it brought back certain certain things that were done in that class. And, you know, one of it and it included stepping off a, a 30, uh, well, a 10 meter board, which is really like 30 feet, um, you know, stepping that off of that into an Olympic sized pool. But putting all that stuff aside, it, you know, it, it did. I, it it did harken like the you know the the wayback machine in my head about about um, you know certain moves and getting people to safety, but uh, yeah that that is that is an epic move right there. I mean you know you talk about MVPs and all that stuff, but saving somebody's life that's on a whole nother strata. Two questions: Do we have any pictures of you in a cadet kid outfit? Do we have any? Uh-oh. Uh, I, I have a yearbook from 1988. It would be the Howitzer. It's a thick phone book size thing. And for those people who don't know what a phone book is, uh, it's a thick book because, <laughs> you know, it's hard to find phone books these days, but, uh, and I think I have some, some, some personal photos, but in the, in one of the shots, there is a, there is a picture of me wearing, wearing the, the, the cadet uniform, uh, circa summer, 1987. Okay, we are going to we are going to need to get our social team to get that and to put that on our Twitter account because I think the world needs to see that. And two, if you were going to have one NBA player save you, who would it be? Um, well, obviously I, I like I like resumes so LeBron because <laughs> you know, you know this, the past success indicates future performance. I you know, I'm down with that. Um uh I think I think I could see Giannis, you know, you know, you know Greek, you know, I'm I'm assuming that he's, he's spent some time in the water and all that stuff. I'm, you know, so so those those would be two guys at the top of my list, I think. Okay. Um, yeah. What, who, yeah. What, do you, what do you got? So so my first choice would be Shaq because you know big guy, strong guy. You know he could probably save you from any situation as long as he doesn't have to run super fast. You know, if we're just going off strength, I think it's uh-huh. Shaq. Yeah. And you know maybe Dwight Howard in his prime. You know that was another mm. Superman s guy. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, interesting choice, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, let's welcome in John Fanta as we talk some college hoops. All right, it is my pleasure to welcome in John Fanta. Not only can you find him on Pure Hoops Media, he does his own podcast. It's the Full Court Podcast with Adams as well as Fanta, but you can also catch him on the Big East Digital Network on the Fox family of networks as well. John, how's it going? And you know, these last few weeks I think have been wild for all of us, but how are things going for you? It's like our own version of the crossover here, just on Pure Hoops Media. Now, great to be with you, Aaron, on Catch and Shoot. Things have been okay. I, the day that the Big East tournament got canceled, I was at Madison Square Garden, and St. John's and Creighton had played the last half of the men's college basketball season. And I, I remember it crossing my mind, okay, if this tournament's getting canceled, everything else is getting canceled, the NBA season's getting suspended, this is really going to be serious and who knows how long we're going to be in this. So I thought to myself, I'm alone in New Jersey. Uh, I grew up on the West side of Cleveland. I went to Seton hall university in South orange. I ended up staying out in the New Jersey, New York area uh, after college because of the opportunities I was able to get out there, but I don't have family in New Jersey. And I thought to myself, I better get home. I better get home and just be with family during this time can certainly work remotely, but there's no chance of, of anybody going into any sort of office or any sort of event. So I might as well get back to Cleveland where I could serve the best purpose of just being with family. And I've got an 84 year old grandmother, an 88 year old grandfather 
that I know need help. So I booked a flight for that night. And I remember landing and then getting picked up by my mom. And a classic motherly question is, how much did you pay for this flight? And I said, mom, I paid 400 bucks. She goes, you paid 400 bucks to get home? I go, mom, I go, this is not something to mess around with. And I, I had a gut feeling thinking to myself, you know what? You pay 400 bucks, uh, but mom's got plenty of home-cooked meals that the, that I would have spent otherwise in New Jersey and New York during the Big East tournament. So I didn't even think twice about it. And I'm really, really glad that I didn't delay the thought process because it's been good to get back to Ohio, still working remotely. But during this time of crisis, just good to stay home with family and try to make the most of that time. Yeah. And to be honest, it's probably going to end up being the best $400 that you've probably ever spent in your life just to have that time with your family and to take in a pandemic like this, because, you know, this is something that none of us have ever been through and hopefully we will never go through anything like this again. So not only a very noble deed on, on your part, but, you know, probably time with your family that you're never going to get back and you're going to cherish for the rest of your life. But let's talk about that Big East tournament, you know, obviously taking place in Madison Square Garden, the world's most famous arena. What was that like, you, you know, to kind of end that first half, like like you said, with Creighton? Uh, what was the fan reaction? And then, you, you know, on the other side, what was the Big East reaction? Because they really were one of the last tournaments to cancel that day. So it was 11.48 a.m., Aaron, Eastern time. And I was in the press room at Madison Square Garden. All of a sudden, it starts coming out on Twitter. The Big canceling their tournament. The Big 12's canceling their tournament. The Atlantic 10 is canceling their term. And I'm thinking to myself, as this is leading up to noon and the teams are still out on the floor, St. John's and Creighton, I'm thinking to myself, we're not going to play this game. We can't tip this game off, can we? Are, are they actually going to do this? And then, and think about where we were as a country three weeks ago to where we are now. You would never hear this type of action. You would never hear this type of chant. Creighton fans were chanting, let them play, let them play. And it was loud. There were only 200 of them there, but they were into it. And Creighton yeah. was the top seed in, in the Big East tournament. Yeah, you, you know, and, you know, I look at it more as, as someone who, who's worked in the league the last five years, you know, from a player's perspective. Players are always so outspoken about, you, you know, the message that they want to send, not only for their personal brand, but towards their players what were some of the players reactions from yeah. the Creighton side you know because to me that's an interesting thing from them because they're not only putting their health on the line but they're also putting the health of everyone in that arena on the line as well well before talking about Creighton what I would say was the most telling player reaction that I was getting firsthand Miles Powell the first team All-American the Seton Hall star texted me Right before Creighton and St. John's tipped off, he said, John, I'm afraid to play. Seton Hall was not supposed to play until 9.30 that night, that Thursday. And it's noon. And the players are in their rooms. They weren't going to team meal because that was looked at as, as potentially something that could jeopardize them. It was, it was scary for the players who were waiting and seeing all this news. For the Creighton and St. John's players, I did not recognize fear. I think for them... It's 11.50. They're warming up. You're in game mode. You haven't heard that these other conference tournaments have been canceled. So it was very, very strange because you've got them. They're ready. They're gearing up. 
And we didn't get a chance to really get a firsthand player's reaction from either of those two teams because the Big East elected to play out the half, to not have the image of the sports day be creating panic and telling student athletes, get off the floor, get off the floor, you know, that this, this has canceled the tournament. So Aaron, I, I think that the emotion of those Creighton and St. John's players, because they hadn't heard that anything had been canceled, it was one of unassuming. It was one of, Hey, we're playing this out. And the people that are in the stands, the limited attendance that we've got, this is what it's going to be. So it was very, very strange though, because the whole time I'm paying attention to the stands, I'm paying attention to even some of the assistant coaches who are walking to the back of Madison Square Garden in the hallways and getting messages from the conference, from the Big East Conference, and other folks saying, hey, you know, this is going to be just the one half. We're not going to play this full game out. So Creighton's coaching staff actually maneuvered how they played the game. They put in Jet Canfield, who was a walk-on for them, uh, ended up getting on, on scholarship, but he got to play a little bit and he hit a couple of threes and kind of had his one shining moment. Greg McDermott put him in knowing it was the last half of their season. Kind of a cool story in the glimpse of all this chaos. What has been the reaction from college basketball circles? Because, you know, we've talked about it multiple times, Otto and I on this show, you know, the college basketball season this year has been a little bit different. It hasn't been dominated by so much star power like it has in previous years, but you know, you were having programs and they, they weren't the blue blood programs, you know, really outside of Kansas. It was pretty much there was a large pool of teams that could have made a run in this year's tournament. You know, from, from your perspective, from a Big East side, when you look at Creighton and you look at Seton Hall, two teams that were 13 and five in their respective conference. And then you look at the rest of the NCAA. How disappointing was this for some of those programs like Gonzaga, you know, that had a legitimate chance, had the tournament taken place? No, no doubt about it. How about Dayton? How about yeah. San Diego State? Those two programs were having banner seasons and had an opportunity to do something really special, but it got cut off. And then my heart just breaks. What was so specific about this college basketball season was the seniors. The players that we did talk about were seniors. Cassius Winston at Michigan State. We thought he could put a team on his back and make an NCAA tournament run. Not going to happen. Miles Powell at Seton Hall. The Pirates had not had the type of anticipation and buzz around the program since 1993. It, it had been that long, or perhaps even 1989 for the national follower when they went to the national championship game and lost to Michigan. How about Marcus Howard at Marquette, the 21st all-time leading scorer in the history of college basketball? He goes out of Marquette having never won an NCAA tournament game. His mission was to get that drought off of his back and not have to deal with that to wrap up his career. It's just, it's sad. But what I've learned from players here is, Aaron, they've brought up the point of, you know, for every team but one, our season ends on a loss. And that's all people remember. And a couple of players have said to me, maybe it makes us, maybe it makes folks on the outside more appreciative of the road to March. Uh, yep. of what happens in December, January, and February, because that's all they really can appreciate. When you watch the team One Shining Moments, there's not a moment from championship week unless you were uh, a mid-major league that had completed your your conference tournament. So it definitely makes you look back on the months leading up to the madness, but uh, just something, 
something to take in. And my heart aches for those college basketball players, those seniors in particular, who won't get to write a final chapter. Yeah. And, you know, one of the seniors I think about a lot, and this is just from a Kansas perspective because I went there, but, you know, you, you mentioned Cassius Winston and Miles Powell. And, you know, I think of a guy like Yudoka Azabuki, who played four years sure. at the University of Kansas, never played a single Big 12 tournament game. And, you know, he was slated to play in his first Big 12 tournament game on that Thursday before they canceled it in the morning. And so it is heartbreaking for those seniors. And, you know, the NCAA on Monday announced that they were going to grant eligibility for their spring athletes, which, of course, would include sports like baseball, softball, track and field. But they were going to deny eligibility extensions for their winter sports, which also would include men's and women's basketball. From some of the players that you've talked to and that you're familiar with, how are some of the seniors coping with that decision? Many of the seniors that I've talked to have said they were planning on moving on uh, because you're at a place where you can make money. You got your degree. So, and, and you've potentially maxed out at your program. So the, the other element of this is, is that if those winter student athletes had been granted an additional year of eligibility, transfers are already at an all-time high. Think about the situation where a senior has played 90% of their season, which was the case, and then elects to, elects to come back. Number one, how does a coach balance the scholarships? Because there's no money, there's no relief fund being provided to schools that's going to allow them to keep these kids on scholarship. They're going to have to figure out a way to make it all work. Then what if you've got that freshman or a sophomore that you say at the end of this season, okay, you're going to be my star next year, or you're going to be one of the guys in my six or seven man rotation. Um, I'm just curious to see how coaches maneuver around their programs because in, in the spring sports, you're going to have these situations where you might have a senior who wants to come back for a sixth year, but it could create a really interesting roster dynamic, and you could really create a, a, a tough dynamic with financials. Uh, I, I know from a lot of schools, a lot of schools that I've heard from that are going to have trouble finding a way to make all this work financially. So while the kids in the spring sports got an extra year, there's a whole bunch of logistical hurdles to figure out because one, that money just doesn't become available for the schools to pay for their scholarship. The schools have to weigh scholarships now. And you've got coaches who might've been, might've been ready to, to maneuver their roster and have somebody, you know, graduate, but now has to try to be convincing and figure out what they're going to do. If someone transfers, I, I think it's going to lead to several logistical scenarios in spring sports, which I know aren't football and aren't basketball, but I think in college basketball with the transfers already at over 500 um, and at an all time high. And now with transfers being potentially immediately eligible, you could have a real headache. Had you done that? I understand why they didn't grant college basketball and wrestling an extra year you, you finished over 90% of your season. I, I just, I, I think that it's just a really tough scenario, but I get why the NCAA did what they did. They did the right thing with the spring student athletes, but man, there's still a lot to be figured out with that.
Yeah, there is. And especially because it's going to end up happening on kind of a school by school case or maybe a conference by conference case on how they elect to uh, distribute the scholarships. Because what a lot of people don't understand, what a lot of people don't know about how spring scholarships divvy up is, you know, a baseball team might only get 11 full academic rides, but then they have to split them throughout all those student athletes. So it's an interesting thing that they have to look at going forward. But let's talk about this because I think this is kind of an interesting and fun thing. And that's one thing we're trying to do right now in kind of these times where, you know, we don't really know when sports are coming back or when we are going to either get to watch the NBA or if we are going to get to see, you know, an NFL draft or OTAs or something like that. But the NBA is still kind of content on finding a way to finish their campaign whether it be a condensed tournament, whether it be a shortened regular season. And, and one of the ideas that has been floated out is that they would finish their season, whether it's condensed or kind of a play-in tournament with a round-by-round elimination format in Las Vegas at the Thomas and Mack Center. And for people who don't know, the Thomas and Mack Center is not only where the NBA hosts their summer league action, but it's also where UNLV plays. And so let's talk about this. If the NCAA or if the NBA were going to play a one-off tournament and they were going to play it in a historic arena and it was going to be either in an isolated location, what would be your top three favorite venues that you would like to see an NBA game played in? Number one, the Palestra, the Cathedral of College Basketball. I would head to Philly, tradition rich in hoops, and the home of the Penn Quakers. And I would pay tribute to what has been called the most important building in the history of college basketball. I mean, the Palestra is college hoops. They broke ground on it in 1926. Not much has changed. It's a fantastic venue. Obviously, attendance wouldn't matter here, Aaron. And you're paying tribute to a a building that just breathes college hoops. That would be number one for me. Number two. I would go to Hink Fieldhouse. I'd go to Hinkle Fieldhouse. Many NBA players have worked out there before because when you're playing the Pacers, you schedule a workout or you schedule sometimes a shoot-around. Uh, or if you've got an extra day, many players I know have gone to Hinkle Fieldhouse. So I think I would be in favor of heading there. To and, and, to be, and to be honest, how cool would it be to see the Pacers take the court and maybe, and maybe their Hoosier-esque uh, uniforms. Oh, now that was see, 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 that's that's the first thing that comes to my mind is that if I can think of you, you know you know maybe it was the Bucks playing in the Bradley Center or something like that you know or or in their old venue you know really kind of throw it back to nostalgia purposes. Hinkle Fieldhouse would have endless possibilities there. Endless. I, I mean, every possibility you could imagine. You you could have Butler Blue, the mascot, lead teams out on the floor. I don't know. You could do a bunch of things with that. And how about this? Bankers Life Fieldhouse now in downtown, they've got the same type of windows that Hinkle has to pay tribute to Hinkle Fieldhouse. It's it's all the tie-ins you could ask for. It makes total sense. And then number three, I have to go with Allen Fieldhouse. Oh, uh, you're just but you're you're just trying to butter me up now, aren't you? You're just trying to butter me up here. Allen magic is real. It's the best. Sometimes I'll watch a big Monday game with Bob Wachusen and Fran Fraschilla. Not only for them, because I love them. I don't care who Kansas is playing. I, I'm going with Allen because the atmosphere is is amazing. Now, you do have the problem of not having an atmosphere because that's what makes Allen what it is. But it still just gives me the chills of basketball. So I, I would potentially go there. Yeah. And, you know, so 
here, here's what I think a lot of our listeners are going to be frustrated with because they hear me talk about Kansas basketball all the time. You mentioned the windows, kind of like how Fink- Hinkle Fieldhouse does, along with Allen Fieldhouse. They both have the windows where you can see the sun shining through in the court, especially for a midday game. And if you're going to have a one-off tournament like that, it would be a tremendous atmosphere and the aesthetics for it would be fantastic. But if you're also looking for a more intimate environment, uh, Cameron Indoor, like, wouldn't that be one of the top options, especially an arena that seats 9,000 people? You're not going to have anyone in there anyway, so the camera angles would look tremendous, and you would also just kind of kind of get this old barn feel for it. I would get an old barn feel for it. I, I agree. Is it is it because I don't want to be perceived here on this pod, and I and I'm not, but is it you know? After a game or two, if I have to keep watching great Duke moments in history, Duke's just so easy to hate. <laughs> well, to be honest, is there anyone in college basketball who likes Duke outside of Duke fans and old Duke players? I know. So then exactly. I, you know, because then you got Coach Krzyzewski, who's a legend, but all his USA basketball linkages with the players, and you're just going it, to – it'll be a Duke fest. I don't know if I want that in my period of quarantine. No, and and to be honest, you know, you're going to have a lot of North Carolina and you're going to have a lot of Kentucky fans on here arguing that the Dean Smith Center wasn't picked or that, you know, Rupp Field or Rupp Arena wasn't picked. But when I look at those two venues, you know, I, I've never thought that UNC's uh, Dean Smith Center has much history to it. I, I know that Michael Jordan played there, but outside of that, it, it's a very big and kind of cavernous place. And that's kind of how I feel about Rupp Arena, too. I've been to both those places. And to me, you know, when I walk into a place like Hinkle Fieldhouse or I walk into a place like Allen Fieldhouse, it just feels different there. Yes, it, it does. It feels different. Two others that come to mind, the Carrier Dome, because it's the Carrier Dome. It's it's got so much tradition again another place that you know has an incredible capacity that you wouldn't be you wouldn't have but it's still a venue that associates with college basketball and then how about Polly pavilion let's get Polly back on the scene if the lakers and the clippers were to play at Polly, i know it'd be an empty but it just it would say la you know and, and and you know they just did that massive renovation there so it would be up to date with what nba teams need anyway Exactly. I think that Pauly could be a real candidate. You're in Los Angeles. Uh, you're in beautiful. Uh, you're, I'm, what, why am I losing where, where UCLA is located? Um, Westwood. Westwood, right. You're in beautiful Westwood. It's perfect conditions. You can't ask for much more. I, I, I would consider Pauly Pavilion. My, other, my mid-major sampling, which it's not really a, a – it is. It's a mid-major, but, but I – look at them differently. They're one of those better ones. Uh, how about Provo? How about BYU? Uh, it's technically the Marriott Center, but I have heard great things about BYU and that place as a venue. I, I think that that's an interesting submission. I've also thought about uh, in terms of another college basketball venue that I think a lot of people forget because they haven't been good in a little while, the Zoo at Pittsburgh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, they, they notoriously used to be on Big Monday all the time. and or, or was it Big Monday or was it Super Tuesday or whatever they call it? No, it but, was you know, Big you, Monday. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. the Big East had that early game and the Big 12 had the late game. And so you would sit there and you watch it. And, you, you know, whether it was a sea of white and kind of those big games that they played. Yeah, I, I'd be about that, too. And, you know, our producer, Scott Turkin, would be very upset with me if I didn't mention the pit for New Mexico State as well. You know, that's another good one. 
But hey, John, this has been fantastic. I appreciate you taking the time, and I'm gonna I'm gonna let you get out here on, on this because I think uh, our college basketball fans would be remiss if we didn't touch on this. But what would be your one shining moment from this uh, college basketball season? Ooh, wow. We touched on it. Every team's been producing their own one shining moment. So I figured I'd ask you. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. You know, I'll I'll tell you what, um, Seton Hall played Michigan state in November in the Gavit games. It was Cassius Winston versus Miles Powell and the Prudential center in New Jersey which doesn't host a lot of events besides Devils hockey. They host some some Seton Hall basketball, but the Nets moved out of there. You know, they haven't had full houses for, for basketball in a while. You know, you'd have to go back to Lawrence Frank and Jason Kidd. Uh, they had nearly a full house. It was a top three attendance game in Seton Hall history. And you've got Tom Izzo coming into the Prudential Center in this Big East, Big Ten challenge. Cassius Winston's brother has passed away. Uh, so you've got that emotion. Miles Powell was not supposed to play with an injury. He ends up playing, gets a massive ovation. So you've got all these variables pregame. Powell goes for 37 points. Seton Hall's up by six with a buck 40 left. Michigan State wills themselves back. Winston and company find a way to gut out a massive road win for the Spartans at the time one that carried on their resume. That to me was a shining moment because we had two seniors. They went punch for punch. Both were dealing with adversity. Cassius was with the death of his brother. And then Miles Powell with the injury. And it just said a lot to me. It said, wow, these two seniors, uh, they just won't, will not be denied. And so for me, that's, that's a shining moment that I covered. I love that. I'm going to have to go back and watch that game because, you know, I've been watching old Kansas games while there hasn't been any sports on. You know, there's only so many times I can experience heartbreak, whether it's a loss to VCU or to Syracuse in the 2003 finals. But so I'm going to go check that out. And John, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us. This was great, man. Aaron, you're always welcome on Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams. All right, we're going we're gonna to have to make that happen. <laughs> Just a reminder, John and Kim will be having their show uh, all off-season long. So if you guys miss them during the college basketball season, you can catch them all summer long. It's Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams every Tuesday right here on Pure Hoops Media. Kim Adams, or Kim Adams is his co-host. I don't know if the same can be said of Otto. A rivalry is born. That was dope. <laughs> Special thanks to John Fanta for joining us today. It was a fun conversation. You know, Otto, while you were on your million conference calls handling real world stuff, you know, John and I were kind of talking about this scenario in a world where when the NBA resumes and they're looking at venues to potentially either play a condensed season or a one and done style of tournament, where maybe some fun college venues that we'd like to see. And, you know, one of the ones that I will always trumpet and be a big advocate for is Allen Fieldhouse in Lawrence, Kansas. You know, I kind of got to thinking that we should ask you the same question. And, you know, it doesn't have to be a college venue, but maybe what would be some fun places that you would like to see NBA games played? Well, I think it would be really cool, you know, given given how how the the, the Thunder, formerly the, the Sonics left Seattle, like going back to, to Seattle for a key arena or something like that would be 
That'd be a kind Especially of a nice. Especially because Key Arena's, you know, actually been renovated now yeah. and would be up to NBA standards. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be like a nice touch. Now, I understand they have to figure out the whole, you know, coronavirus thing because that's one of the epicenters. But I think it would also be, you know, if if things are in check and, and we're, at a, we're at a place where we can actually uh, do that, that would be pretty cool. Now, you could also go kind of completely off the grid and go outdoors like i'm thinking like taking it back to like the rucker or west fourth you know in in new york city and of course nobody would actually show up for that right <laughs> <laughs> yeah you wouldn't have people just like standing no. outside the entire park of but that's actually, that's actually a cool idea for the nba in general you know because the nhl for years has kind of done um the showcase game that they do the outdoor game yep, you know, yep, why can't day. the nba do something like that just lay down a hardwood you know, in the great outdoors and let guys play. You I mean, how many NBA guys probably grew up just going to local parks and balling and that was where they learned the game? How oh, much uh, fun would that be to see LeBron out there? That would be pretty cool. I mean, everybody, I think everybody's got a, uh, a neighborhood park story or, you know, a, you know, the hoop on the, on the telephone pole or, you know, or whatever it might be. I think everybody's got a, a story that they could tell. So that'd be, that would a basket at the end of the street that yeah, your neighbor put exactly. out there so that he exactly. could shoot around. But then all of a sudden all the kids gravitated towards it and started having weekly pickup games there. That's happened <laughs> before. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that would be, that would be pretty cool. Uh, uh, uh so our producer, uh, the illustrious Scott, Scott Turkin uh, has says, how about the old gym from Hoosiers? How that's cool a, would it be? And I, I spoke with John about this. Yeah. How cool would it be to have the Pacers, in a playoff game, wearing their Hoosiers-themed jerseys inside Hinkle Fieldhouse. Oh, well, I, I mean, you, it, it'd be... Doesn't it'd that be, just speak Hoosiers to you? It'd be badass. And I'm like, is there any chance that Oladipo doesn't nail that, that shot? Oh, <laughs> man, God. Got to, right? That, that dude lives and breathes Indiana basketball. Yeah. And, and, and I'll tell you what. Fun story. When he was traded for the Magic, I was in the draft room when that happened. And people were disappointed and they were upset that he was going to Oklahoma City. But then, you know, when it was announced Oklahoma City was trading him back to Indiana, it was almost like this whole thing had come full circle and everyone within the organization was almost uplifted and grateful that that was the final place that he ended up. And, you know, because Indiana fans, whether they would come to Amway Center or when Magic would visit, you know, um, the, the field house there in Indiana, they would just show him so much appreciation and he was Mr. Indiana basketball, which was just so much fun. So that would be kind of a defining moment for me. That'd be a lot of fun to watch. I, I, and uh, absolutely any place else, anything else we can think of any other spots that we want to, do we want to go like space jam and play on whatever planet? Oh my God, that would be, you know, (laughs) this one kind of came to mind and this is probably the last one I'll throw out. You know, it was recently announced that Steve Ballmer, the Clippers owner had acquired the forum in Los Angeles that would be a really fun place to watch them play. That would be, you know, one, one last showtime. I mean, that could, that could, could, that'd be pretty fun. You know, especially <laughs> the Lakers. check this out. So the Lakers playing the Bucks in the forum one more time. Isn't that, that, that's, that's a certain kind of, Certain That'd be a perfect way to cap this weird NBA season, right? I, I think so. I think so. With a, with a little, you know, side tribute to Kobe as well. I mean, it, it, I think you got it all. If you, you can pull that one off. But uh, hey, this was uh, this was great. I enjoy it every week, as I know you do, Aaron. But uh, we're going to call it a wrap. So thanks to everybody for listening to this edition of Catch and Shoot 2.0. Thank you to our producers, including the aforementioned Scott Turkin and Bruce Bernstein, as well as our editor, Ben Wolfen. Yeah, I can't tell you guys how much 
every week, especially during this time. We look forward to doing this show for you guys, our listeners. Just a reminder, the Mike Weiss Show drops on Monday. Full Court Press with who you heard today, John Fanta, as well as Kim Adams, drops on Tuesday. We are back each and every Wednesday for you. And as always, Buckets, Boards, and Blocks comes your way with Monica McNutt on Thursday. And the Pure Hoops Podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman drops on Friday. Until next week, guys, we will see you on Wednesday. Check out all of our shows, subscribe, share with your friends. We'll see you guys next week. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.